This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We have a full slate for you. On this episode of the Pipeline Podcast, we have the top 200 draft prospects list just dropped. The top five have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. We've been talking about that for a while, but something interesting that we did, Jonathan put out a poll to baseball executives to have them rank the top five. And uh, so we incorporated the results of that into the story that goes along with the top 200 draft prospects list. Uh, so we will dig into that a bit, talk about any notable changes at the top, some of the biggest risers and highest debuts on the list. And we'll also talk about the list kind of in the context of the newly set NCAA tournament field. We're also going to be joined by a guy that we were talking about six years ago, probably to this day, because he was one of the top draft prospects then, ended up going number one overall, and that was Royce Lewis. We'll have a chat with him. He, of course, just triumphantly returned to the Twins lineup after being out with his second ACL tear, came back, and casually homered in his return. Uh, Very cool. Uh, We're also going to talk about the top 100 list, a couple debuts, a guy who debuted on the top 100 prospects list and a guy who debuted in the big leagues, Kobe Mayo and Ben Joyce. Uh, We'll talk about the prospect team of the week a little bit and wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Guys, let's get right into it with the top 200 draft prospects list. We expanded the list from 150 to 200. Let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, what that expansion entailed, guys that jumped on the list for the first time, guys who made the biggest jumps between the last ranking and this one. But first, let's start at the very top and as I mentioned, executives poll. Jonathan, explain what happened here. Yeah, we used the mechanism that we've used in the past for minor league stuff. And we decided to ask uh, some questions, many of which we'll get to at a later date. But the, the the key component was asking scouting directors, general managers, and the like, people sort of in the more decision-making positions to rank that top five, because there's been a clear separation uh, at the very top uh, of the list. Outfielder Dylan Cruz and right-hander Paul Skeens, both from LSU, Wyatt Langford from Florida, and two high school outfielders in Walker Jenkins in North Carolina and Max Clark in, in Indiana. And we asked them to rank them. And it was a good check for us to sort of see, you know, well, do we need to change things around with the, the, our order at the top at all? Dylan Cruz struggled for a bit. You know, has Paul Skeens passed him by? So we we set up a, a ranking for, for, for them to lay it out for us and kind of kept things the same as a result uh you know dylan cruz got the the most first place votes uh skeen's got the second most first place votes but uh there was uh, enough separation between the two of them to kind of keep it the way we have it on the site right now which was cruz at one 
and skeins it too. And you, and you say keep it the same because we had that had been the order, but there there was certainly discussion about switching the top two, right? On last and, week's podcast, you don't even have to ask the question. You were part. You, you heard that discussion <laughs> on last week's podcast. He likes we, asking questions. You know, batted it around. Too, well, so. yeah, I mean, it, but it, it even went beyond that. I mean, you guys had made you had made the switch. Yeah, you know, it's, I don't think the survey. I don't think it surprised either one of us, Jonathan. I, I'll, I'll speak for you, but like talking to people about Cruz versus Skeens all spring, I think you're going to have a large segment of the scouting population that is always going to opt for the hitter over the pitcher at one. I, I still maintain what we talked about last week. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. It just comes down to you know what your philosophy is. Is that I think. If you're gonna, if we're gonna create a metric like we'll call it uh, prospect plus, like how good a prospect you are relative to others at your position in a normal year. I think Skeens exceeds that bar more than Cruz does. I mean, I think they're both outstanding prospects. I, you know, we've said it a million times. I think Skeens is the best pitching prospect since Strasburg or Garrett Cole. Um, I, I'll say since Strasburg because I think he was a better pitching prospect than Garrett Cole was. Um, in, in 2011, I think pitchers are hard to find. There aren't a whole lot of pitchers in this draft. And I get the risks part. But I also, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not saying I would 100%. It's like an easy decision. I'm taking skins over Cruz. But I hate this. Well, when we talk about risk, you know, you're giving millions of dollars to amateur players. There's risk involved with any of this. If you're afraid of risk, like, <laughs> don't draft. But like, <laughs> How often do you get a chance at drafting a guy like Paul Skeens? Like, not very often. And this notion that, like, oh, I have to take the hitter over the pitcher because the pitcher's riskier. Well, I'll just throw out, just case in point, who's, who do we think is the smartest GM front office executive of the last 20 years? He's not in the game anymore. He won World Series with two different franchises. I'm assuming you're thinking Theo Epstein. Right. So Theo Epstein, you know, heralded, you know, Theo's going to go to the Hall of Fame, did great work in Boston, did great work in Chicago. And when the Cubs won the World Series, they had a young lineup under control forever. Like they're going to win multiple championships, dynasty. And what were the Cubs doing? They were taking the first round every year. Oh, we're going to take the best college bat. Never going to take a pitter, take the best college bat. And, and, and this is a little overly simplistic, but what happened in the end? The Cubs didn't develop any pitching, like zero pitching for like a decade. And that dynasty wound up, you know, going back and winning a playoff series in 17. And then they never won another playoff series again, and, and, and they're rebuilding. So just this notion that like you have to take the hitter over the pitcher, I'm going to push back on that. And, and I do think that that – Jonathan, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. I do think there's a, a, a large portion of the industry that feels like if you have a hitter and a pitcher, you always take the hitter. Well, if you do that, if you, you know, Paul Skeens has come around, you know, let's say once in a decade in the draft. If you pass on Paul Skeens, good luck. You're not trading for that guy. And, you know, you can go back to Strasburg and, you know, he's been injured. But his career's been pretty good. The 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 Nationals won a World Series, you know, you know, Steven Strasburg played a large part in that, and they were a successful team for a number of years. And Steven Strasburg, you know, played a large part in that. So, you know, again, you can debate Cruz versus Skeens, um, but I just think the default answer of so many people is, oh, you got to take the hitter over the pitcher. And my question is, is why? 
You know, I'll, well, I'll quote great Bulls broadcaster, Chicago Bulls broadcaster, Stacey King. If you're scared, go buy a dog. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. Um, Major League Baseball executives everywhere clamoring to buy dogs. Right yes, now. that's right. After listening to Pipeline Podcast. So I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll answer, I guess, you know, not, you know, so I think, yes, there was a, a good amount of the feedback was, I'll pick Cruz because you take the bat over the pitcher. Now, I don't know whether that's every year. You know, so I think you kind of extrapolated into an overall all the time philosophy. When in this case, I really felt that there were a lot of people who did not see that much difference between Cruz and Skeens. You know, that they're the top two. Uh, there were a number of people who felt that. Cruz was approaching one of the best position players in a number of years, uh, not not in the same historic way that people talk about Skeens. So then if all things are equal, if they're on basically the same plane, then how do you decide? And so they were looking within this draft class, and I can see the argument, by the way, I, Jim, that you were making that I still think you have to consider Skeens because – the Paul Skeens of the world come around much less frequently than perhaps the Dylan Cruises of the world. But in this specific class, and that's what these guys are tasked with doing, I can also see the argument that says, well, if all things are equal and both of them, you, you think both of them have the chance to be stars, major league stars, and that's what you're hoping for with, your, with the number one overall pick, then there's something to be said for going with the the slightly lower risk in the college bat. Yeah, and 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 I agree with with some of that. And again, I have no problem. Like, I'm not even sure. You know, we could ask this question every week, and I could flip flap back and forth. Who I would take? Let's not do that though. That'd yeah, be boring. If we pick number one, and I mean, I always say we always joke. You know, like we don't have to pay whoever we pick seven or eight million dollars. So it's like it's our stakes are a lot lower than somebody else. But I, I just know when I've asked this question of so many people in baseball this spring, I do get a large chunk of, ah, I'm always going to take the hitter over the pitcher. And no, it's like you should evaluate. And I agree with you. Know, Cruz is, is, there aren't a lot of years where there is a Dylan Cruz. I mean, I would take Adley Rutschman over him. I, I, well, sure. I would think, no, but I'm saying like he's, he's right up there. And I was going to say, I think his, like revisionist history would say, oh, he'd definitely go ahead of Torkelson. I'm not so sure because at the time Torkison was pretty well revered. It was a strange. He was, from, but he also but was a corner infielder who might have ended up at first, even at right. the time. Special of a bat he was, so I, I could see but, but maybe you would take Cruz. He's, he's in that. He's in that. I'm saying he's in that. He's discussion. in the conversation. Yeah. Yes, like he, he's like he's in that conversation. So he is a pretty special talent too. I'm not knocking Dylan Cruz, but I just I, I just don't like the okay. We're immediately going to dismiss the pitcher, and and I would again throw out if you think they're equal. It's hard to find pitchers. I'm not saying you go take the pitcher every year, but you know, I look at the Pirates farm system and I look at the Pirates Major League Club. And you know, yeah, Mitch Keller's having a great season. And I like Rosny Contreras Contreras. Okay, there's two. There's two pitchers. You're gonna need more than that. And like, you know, the Pirates have spent a lot of their recent picks, a lot of them, on position players, especially college position players. I, I just again, I'm not saying, but like if you pass on if you're the Pirates and you pass on Paul Skeens. When's the next time you're getting an opportunity to pitcher like that? That, that that's all I'm saying. So, um, again, judge him on the merits. I think you can make a case either way. Yeah. But I, I just don't like the default position of a 
certain portion of the scouting populace that says, oh, well, you know, you always take the hitter over the pitcher because, you know, like, again, I mean, this is the best pitching prospect we've seen in 12 years. You know, if you don't take Paul Skeens now, there's only going to be a couple teams that have a chance at him. If you don't take Paul Skeens now, you know, one, it might be another decade before a guy like this comes along. And two, you know, who knows if if your team's going to be picking high enough to get him. So if I were the Pirate, like, not that you draft on need, but just the rarity of Paul Skeens, how hard it is to find pitching, especially guys like that, I, I think I would take Paul Skeens number one. Although I continue to hear, like I think you did when you did your mock, Jonathan, I think the industry feels that they're going to take Cruz if the draft were today. If you, if you had 30 teams vote, who do you think the Pirates are taking? I, I think Cruz would win that. Should have included that in the in the poll. So, yeah, in addition to, you know, Jonathan asking uh, executives just to strictly rank these guys, uh, he also gave them, uh, asked them to kind of explain their rankings. And that's, uh, if you go to uh, the MLB.com slash pipeline site, uh, pull up the story. There's a lot of good information there. You have guys saying, you know, Cruz is clearly the best player in the draft and is approaching some of the best college position players in the last few years. Cruz is the best overall prospect since Adley Rutschman. Cruz is the best bat in the draft with a chance to stay in center field. Uh, and then some stuff on Skeens. You know, his stuff can play immediately. It's a generational college pitcher in Skeens. A uh, lot of good info there. So uh, in addition to the list itself, definitely uh, check out the article that that Jonathan did to accompany that list. So let's let's move beyond the top five now. Um, obviously, that stayed uh, pretty much the same. What were some notable changes between uh, the last iteration of this list and the expanded one from one one fifty to two hundred? So we put the one fifty out about a month ago, um, and then expanded it. Uh, over the course of the past month, just to give a little context there. But, but what were some notable changes? Well, I think the biggest was probably Joe Whitman of Kent State, yep. you know, in terms of the biggest individual jump. And I mean, he is the biggest individual jump. He was a guy we considered for the top 150. And it's funny, I mean, he only pitched five and two thirds innings the last two years at Purdue. He couldn't get on the field for Purdue before he transferred to Kent State. And he had some consideration. We were doing the list last time. And I know when I was talking to scouts, you know, Ohio is 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 my neck of the draft. I have to make yes. the, the weekly neck of the draft reference. Nicely done. Um, scouts were like, he intrigues me. I just want to see more out of him. You know, because we were, you know, it was probably, you know, six weeks into season when I was talking to scouts in Ohio. And he's been on a roll. He should continue to be on a roll. Um, you know, Zach Kent State, you know, the pitching coach there is former big leaguer Mike Birkbeck, who is I think everybody in the area knows what a great pitching coach he is. Kent always has very good pitching. They send guys to the big leagues. I think he likes living in the area, so he hasn't you know left for other jobs. But he's a tremendous pitching coach, and he's done a really nice job with Whitman, who is the best college lefty in the draft, in a draft where there aren't college lefties. He, I mean, there's a lot to like here. I mean, he's cleaned up the delivery. He's 6'5", 200 pounds. It's a good frame, good angle. 91 to 96 with – riding action on the fastball that he commands pretty well. He's got a, a low 80 slider that he commands even better than the fastball. And it's got horizontal and vertical action to it. He's got a changeup with some fade and sink. He hasn't used it much, but like you can see there's makings of a solid third pitch there. Um, he's throwing more strikes. Um, 
So it, it's a clear starter package. And, and I think especially when you factor in supply and demand and there's a lack of college pitching, especially lefties, I think he's got a chance to go in the sandwich round right now. Um, you know, if you told me that he snuck into the first round, it, it wouldn't shock me because I, I, I do think he's probably the, the fifth best college pitcher in the draft right now. All the uh, a couple smaller jumps I thought are, are worth noting. Uh, again, when you're especially if you're looking at the first round, and I agree with all that with with Whitman and you know taking advantage of the dearth of college lefties. He's certainly doing that. But you know, Arjun Namala and Kyle Teal both jumped into the to the top ten. These are moderate jumps, but still, I think anytime a, two two guys jump uh, into into the top ten, it's worth noting. And I know. Jim, that you've gotten some of the same sort of info that I did when I had last mock. I had Teal going six to the A's, and I don't think that's completely out of the question. Whether it happens, I don't know. Um, you know, Handy Morales made uh, a, a nice little jump up more to the sort of mid-first round range. Uh, I think uh, uh, Nolan Chanuel from Florida Atlantic uh, has made a nice jump. Chase Davis has made a nice jump. Um those are some of the guys that I, you know, sort of uh, have jumped in more into first round consideration ish. Walker Martin is a is a name uh, who there's a lot of buzz around him. High school shortstop from Colorado. He's jumped into sort of first round area or at least conversations. So th- those are some other guys. Even if they aren't the like the biggest jumpers, I don't know if we want to talk about some of those guys. Uh, we have a couple of you know other decent debut guys but those are guys that we may hear called you know in the first 35 40 picks come draft day yeah so the guys who made the sort of highest debuts after having not previously been on the list at all uh another college lefty quinn matthews stanford was not ranked previously now at 119 uh grant gray an outfielder from norco high school in california debuts on the list at 129 Brock Vradenberg, uh, Michigan State first baseman, uh, is now at 130. And Carson Rucker, third baseman from Good Pasture Christian High School in Madison, Tennessee, jumps up to 131. Uh, so th- these guys all, have they all, is this all based on recent performance that we're, we're seeing these guys jump as high as they did? Um, well, Jonathan can speak to Matthews and Gray, but I think they were on radars. I mean, I think it's, you know, we talked about like, I mean, John, I think it's probably fair to say Matthews, I believe we considered him for the 150 also. We did. And just didn't put him on. And then we moved him up a little bit. So, I mean, he was known. I mean, Gray is your guy, but I mean, I think everybody's known about him. He, he's a two sport guy, you know, outstanding receiver, wide receivers committed to UCLA. And it's, I, I think he's performed a little better as of late. Um, you know, now that he's getting the full swing of, of baseball. But so I don't think those guys quite came out of nowhere Jonathan would you say yeah Matthews more than Gray and not that Gray came out of nowhere uh, but because he didn't do you know a lot of the early parts of the of the list you know the one that we put out in December is obviously based on the summer and for the high school it was the summer showcase circuit and Grant Gray didn't do much of anything over the summer because of his football commitments so People knew about him, uh, but they didn't see him against good competition. Uh, we only put out a top 100. I don't, I don't think that he, he, he was 
sort of in my universe of people I was talking about when we did the 150. Uh, and then he just kept doing what he was doing. So in some ways, he was a bit of a, I won't say a pop-up guy, but more of a, he's come on strong because of how he's performed this spring, more so than a guy like Quinn Matthews, who's obviously been around a while, uh, you know, has always shown an ability to get people out, but uh, really struggled with command. And I think for him, he, you know, we didn't put him on the 150 because it wasn't enough of the season. And he's continued in conference, he was the Pac-12 pitcher of the year, to to throw a lot more strikes and that, that's why he made the the jump that he did. So it's just differentiating him and Gray a little bit. And Matthews was on our list last year. I think he was number 187 or so on the top 250. Right. I mean, the, the guys who've, who've really jumped out of nowhere, you know, like I said, you know, Whitman was a guy who'd barely pitched, um, but he was pretty impressive from, from the start of the season. The guy who, who also, the position kind of counterpart to him is, is Vradenberg, who, you know, didn't play much as a freshman, didn't do much offensively last year at Michigan State. You know, played well in summer ball. Didn't even really stand out in scout day. And I had one area scout tell me, if anybody tells you that they even had Brock Vradenberg on their follow list coming into the year, your follow list being list of players you need to run down in the spring, the scout said they're 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 a flat out liar because nobody did. And wow. so who are the liars, Jim? Who told you that? They <laughs> name them. We want no, no. Names. Nobody claimed that they were on okay. him early, but he's a guy who got off to a great start and he kept going. Like I think people kind of wanted to see it to believe it. But he hit 397 with the regular season, 12, 18 ops, 13 homers. He's 6'7, 230. And he's more of a, a hitter than a slugger. Um, you know, it, it's more of a strength and leverage power than 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 big bat speed. But he's, he keeps getting better at backspinning, lifting balls. You know, and if he could continue to to learn how to launch more balls in the air, I think you have at least average power. And the crazy thing is it's six seven, two thirty. Guys have even, you know, gotten some above average run times out of him. I mean, he's more of an average runner. The, the the speed, the pure speed doesn't translate into great defense at first base. There's a little question of where he winds up defensively, but he like it's funny, you know, he was a guy who, like I said, wasn't on anybody's radar. And and the first guy who who brought him to my attention was our, our good friend and former Pipeline podcast host, Jordan Schusterman, who is draft obsessed. And he was hitting like 430 two weeks into the season. And Jordan asked me about him. And I was like, I don't really have anything on this guy. Like, he had never did anything in the past. It's first base only, it looks like. But he has kept it going. And, you know, I would not be surprised if he went in the second round of the draft because we've seen it time and time again the last few years. Hitting ability trumps all. Uh, you know, and it's not like he's a one tool guy with no power and, and no speed, but you know, guys who are really advanced college hitters, it seems like they go in the top 50 picks. Like that might be a little bit rich on Vradenberg considering his position, but I, I do think that, you know, especially, you know, there's not a lot of college pitching in this draft. If you told me he went in the second round, th that wouldn't shock me. I, I could see that happening. Jim, speaking of guys with one tool and no power and no speed, Uncanny timing. You mentioned uh -oh. Jordan Schusterman. And as you said his name, a text message from him popped up on my phone. About that? As you said his name. As wow. though you, you summoned I, I, So are you saying that Jordan has good hitting ability and no power or speed? Or that's, that's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. You've seen him play. <laughs> I have not. I have not. No, I haven't so. either. <laughs> uh, all right. Let, let's, uh, let's, well, let's talk about something that... Uh, 
that Jordan would like to talk about if he were, he were division here with three, us. Division, division three, are we going to talk Division three? Uh, <laughs> baseball now? Let's talk, well, yeah, let's talk Division one instead. Uh, well, let's talk about this new top 200 prospects list uh, through the lens of the NCAA tournament field, which is set now. Uh, looks like we are going to see, what, six of the top 10, 11 of the top 20 uh, from our list playing and uh, a pretty good number of, of the top-ranked draft prospects. I'm taking your word for it on the math there. Is you didn't count it up? I didn't go that deep. Um, you, but you have, you, have the team, you have the teams with the most players, right? I did that. You did, what did you, you say, 11 that? of the top 20? Is that what you came up with? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I, I will endorse your, your math. And, including the top three. I don't do math. <laughs> Jonathan does not do math. That is, that is true. Uh, yeah, it's it's 11 of the top 20, um, 73 of the top 200 overall, and that's out of 111 college prospects. I can't confirm list. that. I cannot confirm your math on that one. Well, you, you tried to debunk something I said last week, so. It was your non-drafted free agent count. It, it blew my mind. And you were wrong, Jim. So he's, you're a little you're a little unsure of yourself now. I can feel it. I, I can't I can't calculate 73 of 111 that quick. So that's okay. Um, but yeah, it, it, what about teams that are that are best represented on the list, Jim? Well, the number one team, not that we do set up our rankings this way, because obviously you can have starting your classmen, they do. But the number one team in the country is Wake Forest, and Wake Forest leads all regional teams with six draft top 200 prospects uh followed by lsu miami and tennessee at five and then arkansas and florida at four and you know wake is the number one seed i do think they're well positioned they've, they've got rhett louder who's right there with paul Skeens in terms of just going out there and consistently pitching well every time and they probably have the deepest pitching staff in the country and they also have guys like brock wilkin their career home run leader nick kurtz who isn't even draft eligible this year um Tommy Hawk, who didn't quite make our top 200, but will probably sneak on our top 250. He's having a good year. Um, it's just a very well-balanced team. and uh, But we've seen, I don't know how many years in a row it is, but the number one national seed hasn't made it to Omaha the last couple of years. You know, Tennessee was upset last year. Arkansas was upset two years ago. So Wake Forest will we'll try to avoid that jinx. Who's going to pull a uh, Kate Orton this year? I guess there's there's no way to know. Well, the, the best parallel would be Tanner Witt at Texas with Tommy John surgery later in the year. Oh, that's a good one. Then Kate Horton did at Oklahoma last year. Um, and he's back. Um, he started pitching in May. The, the command and, and the stuff wasn't real sharp first couple times out, but I think his last time out, he threw three scoreless innings in the big 12 tournament. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Tanner Witt, you know, pitching six, seven, eight innings a game at this point. Um, but he might be your guy who goes, you know, for a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, who didn't do a whole lot during the regular season goes fairly high in the draft, especially if he can pitch well in, you know, probably shorter postseason stints, but he would be, he would be my, my pick to clear. The other guy I'd throw out and he hasn't been hurt is I, Jonathan, and you can weigh on this, the hardest guy to try to pin down at the top of these mocks Feels like it's been Chase Dolander, mm -hmm. you know, because he hasn't had. I mean, we thought he was going to be the best pitching prospect in at least a decade, and he's been inconsistent. And he hasn't gone deep into games. He did pitch really well his last time out against South Carolina, and then Tennessee went out and won game at the SEC tournament, so he didn't pitch last week. 
but trying to pinpoint where he goes has been very tough. But I still think the stuff is pretty good. Like, I, st- I think he's been good rather than great. And I do think that if the, the South Carolina game he had in the last week of the regular season is a springboard, he goes out and let's say he deals for two or three postseason starts. I'm not saying he'd jump into the top five. You know, we, we've talked about how solid that top five is. But, you know, there's all the, like, when you talk to people, there's people who are like, it's funny, I hear from people like, oh, I don't know what to do with that guy. And I hear other people who are like, oh, we pick in this spot. I don't see how there's any way he can get to us. But, like, nobody seems to say, hey, hey if yeah, he's there, he's we're taking a little no man's land. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think he is probably the guy who could help himself the most uh, and not, you know, and more solidifying himself than, like, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to make any huge leap. Uh, but I think he could go from, I don't know where he goes to, oh, he's definitely going to go in that, let's say six to 10 range. Uh, because you know, if you want a college arm after Paul Skeens, it's really him or Rhett Louder. And as good as Rhett Louder has been, there's no doubt that Chase Dollinger's stuff is better. So, you know, if he goes out and shows it, then I think you're, you know, you're right. He's going to kind of, he is going to solidify, uh, you know, where he's at. It's just funny. Cause I get people saying like, Oh, there's no way he can't go in the top 10 picks. Like, I think he's really sliding and I get teams picking the top 10 who are like, how many players are better than Chase Dolan or that could even push him to us. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Like, you know, Tennessee's going to try to do what Arkansas did after Arkansas had their hearts broken in 2021. They made it to the college world series in 2022 and Tennessee, which has had a very, dysfunctional season is going to try to do the same thing after, you know, being clearly the best team in the country last year, getting upset by Notre Dame, the super regional seeing if they can make it back to Omaha. I just want to point out, cause this has never ever happened. Uh, my alma mater is that's right. Playing and Jim's is not. Wow. Well, we haven't, George has only been at three regionals in the last well, 10 years, unfortunately, yeah. which Penn, is why Penn we hasn't, a... Penn hasn't been since 1995. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we have a coaching opening now because of that. All right, we're talking 2023 draft here, obviously. We're going to turn the clock back a little bit, talk to a guy who went number one overall in the draft six years ago. That is the Twins' Royce Lewis. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, and I am happy to bring into the podcast, hopefully for the last time ever as a prospect, former number one overall draft pick. That, of course, is Royce Lewis of the Minnesota Twins. Royce, you know, under more perfect conditions, we would no longer be talking with you as a prospect. Um, but I'm glad that we could sneak one in under the wire here. Yeah, hey, yeah, I couldn't agree more. But, uh, you know, we still talk. You know, you and I are good friends. And 
uh, we love the game. So, you know, I'm sure I'd be seeing you around. Well, talking like for fun, yeah, but talking in terms of having you on a prospect-focused podcast, maybe not, unless we were asking you to relive your draft days or, or something like that. So while we are recording this, you are in Houston. You just had your return to the big leagues, and I don't think that you could have scripted it any better. I mean, maybe a three-homer game. I'm, I'm not sure, but like, you know, three-run homer, drive in a you know a game tying run later like can you take me through the emotions just of first setting foot back on the big league field again and then being able to do what you you did in your first game back yeah uh you know the the emotions were high and i was just so excited to be back out there uh you know especially on the big league team with the, with a bunch of guys who are really talented and uh you know i think it's a championship team and uh, very depthy, especially positional focus. And so for me to be able to make the team and even be in the lineup was just really special for me. And I just took the you know opportunity and ran with it. And uh, it's kind of what I've been doing my whole life. I want to sort of get into sort of how you got there, but let's talk a little bit about sort of the nuts and bolts, the rosters, right? This isn't a team where, you know, you were drafted as a shortstop. You played a lot of shortstop. Then you, know, you moved around a bit. This wasn't like a, a place where they were holding a spot at short or wherever for you necessarily. So part of, I would imagine you getting ready to return, not only as I'm back in the big leagues, but like I got to bring, you know, multiple gloves with me. I'm not sure where I'm going to be. How, did that add to it? Or are you, I would imagine you're still very much in the, Oh, I'm so glad to be back kind of frame of mind. Yeah, no, of course, you know, it added to it just because, you know, you, when you have the unknown, it's always a little bit harder to prepare. And um, <clears throat> especially in this game, you got to prepare to be at your best. And uh, luckily enough for me, the Twins have been in constant communication with me on, you know, what positions I was looking to be playing, um, you know, what doctors and them have talked about going forward medically, what makes most sense for us. Um, and we talked, to, you know, and had good conversations about going forward, what my future looked like on this team. Um, and what I could potentially be doing, moving around on the field, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, for me and, and the team, it seemed like outfield was, uh, you know, just medically safer to, to stay away from for this season. And that's kind of what we talked about. So I knew I was going to be playing on the dirt somewhere. just didn't know where uh, to be exact, especially in the big leagues. But going up through the system, you know, in double A extended and then triple uh, A as well, it was mainly just short and third. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about second base being an emergency um, just depending on where we were at in this season and in time and with injuries. But um, yeah, man, that communication was key. And, and now we're, you're off and running and just short and third for me. I would imagine, I mean, the twins, I think have always been good at that. I mean, long before you, you even got there, I think that's one of the things there's been a continuity there. Um, so that I'm, I'm sure that helped. And I would imagine like, even with something like second base, not that you couldn't play there, but there's gotta be a balance between, you know, getting you out there every day so you get the reps, you know, and, and and get your bat into the lineup. Obviously, you wouldn't be in the big leagues now if they didn't think you could help. But there's a certain minimizing of risk after what you've you've been through, I would think, that figures into it where you haven't played a ton of second base, uh, at least certainly not recently. And the same with the outfield. It's not like you are incapable of playing the outfield, but let's not do that right now while you're still getting both literally and figuratively your legs under you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's something that we've always talked about, but I think what helps uh, put some pressure is, like you said, when you, you know, you're, you're able to have your bat in the lineup and, and then you need to find a spot on the field and when you're versatile. And I feel like, 
you know, kind of like a Kike Hernandez, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, you know, on that Cubs, Ben Zobrist, all these utility players are able to get in the lineup every day because they play all these positions. And, um, you know, fortunately enough for me, I'm able to do that. Just don't put me on the mound, please. But, uh, <laughs> but every, everything else seems to be fun and dandy. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm willing to work as hard as I can to, to be great at those positions. You didn't mention that you wouldn't get behind the plate. I'm saying that's probably not a good fit for you, but you didn't mention that. Hey, if we need to do it, I'll do it. You know, we only, we, we got to deal with whatever we got to deal with, but uh, I wouldn't suggest <laughs> it for the long term. That's for sure. Well, let's take the guy who's had two major knee injuries and have him squat for nine innings. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's, let's talk about the, the coming back from the injury. Before we started recording, I said, I, I really want to focus on the sort of mental side we spend so much time talking about guys' tools, their abilities, you know, things like that. And we've done, certainly done enough of that with you. Um, you know, it's been six years since you were drafted. And I'm sure for you, it feels like it's been 16 years uh, in, in a lot of ways, right? But I, one of the things that I've always admired about you is your, your positivity. Um, and that's before the injuries. Can you talk a little bit about, how you had to rely on that and and maybe how there were times where you you had to kind of remind yourself to stay positive uh it's only human nature i would think to not how you know you go through one fine two major major season ending injuries how did how did you cope with all of that i just i just stuck to you know my faith in in god and my family and friends being around me and, and supporting me each and every day and uh it it truly meant a lot, you know, and then having, you know, Scott Boris, my agency and uh, that whole team there with, with, as well as the Minnesota twins is backing me. It just, it really felt like I had all the support I needed and all the resources to, to be successful. And, um, and then just staying positive, I, I couldn't be more blessed in the situation I'm in. I'm playing a game that I love. Yeah. I'm hurt at the moment, but I don't think it's, you know, forever. And, um, and it turned out it wasn't, you know, thankfully it doesn't happen anymore. Um, and we just keep going from there. And I'm still, like I said, living my dream. So why would I not be happy? And I think that's kind of what, you know, put me in this mindset of just looking towards the future. And, you know, when things get well and are fine and dandy, just having a great time and, and enjoying the heck out of it. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, you know, even as I play each and every day, I'm just blessed and thankful for the opportunity that I have. And uh, I'm going to take advantage of it fully and run with it. You make it sound so simple, but, you know, and I totally get, and you and I have talked a bunch about this, 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 like you get to play the game you love and that's sort of your mindset, but you had it taken away from you twice because of injury. So not only could you not do that thing that you love to do the most, you know, I have to think maybe a little bit, you're like, am I going to be the same? And I know I saw you right at the tail end after the first injury and you're like, I'm actually better than I was before. Uh, and, and then the second injury hits you know, I have to imagine that there's some concern like, am I not going to be the runner I was? I mean, you know, what am I going to be when I come back? You know, so I appreciate your positivity. And yeah, we're all blessed to do anything in this game, I think, uh, myself included, you know, to be able to make a living talking about it. But when it's taken away from you like that, how how do you remind yourself to focus on that positive point? And I, and I mean... Even maybe after the right in, right in the aftermath of that second injury, I I have to think it's natural to be like, are you kidding me? 
yeah, oh, of course. You know, I'm still upset and and in that are you kidding me phase, like why me phase. Uh, it's not ideal to get hurt, especially when it's out of your control. Uh, you know, to me, soft tissue is a little bit more under control where, you know, I can hydrate as much as I can, do recovery with all the resources that we have. But when you run into a wall and your knee goes, I can't do anything about that. I wouldn't have changed how I made the play. I, I got the out. Um, that's what I'm paid to do, really. So, um, yeah, that's when it's even tougher, really, is when it's out of my control and I couldn't do anything different about it. Uh, it definitely hurt more from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, you just it's I was upset for probably a few weeks uh, right afterwards, like pretty high, you know, stress with that. And then just the pain of the surgery and all that. But as soon as, you know, I got back into like, hey, you're able to work out now and the doctors clear you for, you know, just working out in the gym, even um, riding a bike. All these little things are are like little detailed wins that uh, put me closer to my goal. And I just immediately set a goal of, man, I'm going to come back faster than anybody ever thought I could do it. They're saying 12 to 14 months, like bump that. Let's go 10. Let's go nine. Like I'm ready for spring training. And uh, I just believed in myself. You know, I always knew, I, you know, if I put the work in that uh, good things will happen and uh, I'm going to have fun doing that. And so I did. And that's that's exactly where I was. And, uh, you know, like I said, the mindset, human nature, it's like, yeah, it's hard. Of course, it's hard. But like the life that I'm able to live because of the game that I love and because of my work ethic. I feel like that's why I'm so positive, man. There's there's some other people that would love to trade places with me any day in a heartbeat, and I just don't give it give it away, and I don't take it for granted. I would imagine, if anything, you probably had to either pump the brakes yourself or be told by the twins to pump the brakes just in terms of – and maybe the second time around you sort of understood how, how it might go. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> this is an audio medium, but you're, you're immediately shaking your head. So there were some some conversations about – dude, slow down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think pretty much we talked every week, twice a week at least, uh, especially during the off season when there wasn't anything going on really for my rehab. It was, you know, I'm seeing the PT three to four days a week. Uh, they got updates from him, so they knew what was going on. But whenever we talked, it was pretty much like, like, hey, you know, I'm ready to hit now. Well, easy there, buddy. Like, we'll take it easy now. Like, we're not there yet. And, um, you know, I – I look back on it and I truly appreciate that because they're just looking out for the best interest of me in the long term. But as a competitor and as an athlete and as Royce Lewis, it, it doesn't work like that. So I, I got to do something. I got to be going. Um, and it was just they found the happy medium, especially doing with, you know, dealing with me twice. Uh, they found the happy medium of what is best for Royce and how he's going to thrive best. And uh, it's kind of like what Rocco had mentioned before to the press and the media is that. You know, you have to take what Royce says because he's so positive halfway with a grain of salt. Like he might be fully injured and we, and he just lying to us, but we don't even know or hiding it well. And so, um, you know, I appreciate what they do and, and what they, you know, like to communicate and how they like to communicate. And um, it clearly works very well for me. And I'm just appreciative to be a part of this team, man. They did a great job. I would imagine more of that happened once you actually got on the field during your rehab assignment, you know, like, all right, if I can do this in Wichita, I can do this in Minnesota. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know, or were you just happy to sort of get some reps and kind of, you know, almost have a little bit of a mini spring training yep. of sorts to get you, to get yourself ready for where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that we talked about, you know, during extended was, uh, you know, they gave me a full layout plan and we talked about, we're going to hit, we're not running. So basically like a live at bat, we're going to hit, you're not going to run out of the box. Either. 
just hit the ball, like see the pitches, and you're going to get plenty of at-bats. I, I mean, I got up to seven or eight in a day before, um, and I think that truly helped me out. You know, I had almost 150 plate appearances leading up to leaving extended, uh, which then put me in Wichita, and I just kind of followed the plan. You know, it, it, my legs felt great because of it. I feel 120% now, um, and I, I wouldn't have done it any different. I, I really appreciate that, you know, I was put on the 60-day, and I think being put on the 60-day helped me because I knew regardless if I'm doing it in Wichita, Florida, and Extended, or AAA, I couldn't come back any sooner. And I think with that peace of mind, too, it just helped me go have fun and play the game that I love by just having fun and not putting any pressure or stress on myself. Um, and I think it just worked out for the better. We, we created a great schedule, and um, you know the team and myself and all the doctors and the PTs and staff that have been around me and helping me and my agency and family and friends have all just supported me in the best way possible and, and knew the plan, and we all executed it to a T. You know you can't actually feel 120%, right? Like, that's not a thing. That's what, that's what this feels like. I couldn't tell you, I <laughs> couldn't tell you anything different. It feels, it feels pretty amazing, man. I, I, I'm so glad to be where I'm at. Are you, you know, when I saw you coming back from the first injury, you were saying that you actually thought you were faster than you were. Are you just as fast? Like, do you feel like you're 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 you? Yeah, I, I feel in terms of like the baseball player, I feel better than I was before, for sure. Stronger, amazing, faster, um, just more powerful all the way around. It, it was truly special. I don't know how you know this stuff happens other than just God. It was just a God thing. I think it was all in His timing, and I just. You know, like I said yesterday, I mentioned before the game, I just felt like something special is going to happen th throughout this season. It just feels like it's time. And uh, I've just been having fun and running with that and just believing in him this whole time and this whole process. And, man, like, I couldn't tell you, but I, I've definitely grown as a person and a player. So I, I couldn't be more thankful for those injuries as much as I hated them at the time. Yeah. Um, like, you do come out stronger mentally. And you probably know more about a human's anterior cruciate ligament than you ever wanted to. <laughs> yeah, way more. I, I didn't know all the stuff that it actually provided for your knees, so they're important, people. Just make sure you keep them safe. You're, you're halfway to a medical degree by now, I think, or at least a physical therapist degree. You could go do that if you wanted to. Yeah, the PT, yeah. Doctor, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I feel very said we could go on forever and ever, but I'm going to let you go. I just, you know, you're, you're talking about, you have a special team in the big leagues. There's some really, really good prospects coming that you got to probably see anybody who stood out, you know, are you looking forward to, to Brooks Lee challenging you at one of, uh, one of the spots that you play? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. I love it, man. The competition, we just, we, we build each other up, man. I think that when you have great players around you, you just up your ante and you play better. Um, and that's that's what I'm expecting, you know, this team to do, especially with all the depth. We have a ton of great players. So now, you know, it's a fight to see who gets one, you know, one, who wants to play and two, who wants to win. And if you put those two things together, I think you have a championship team. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just excited about all the prospects we have. But we have a ton, man, from a pitching standpoint. I mean, they might not even be, quote unquote, ranked prospects, but guys that I saw that, that really stood out, you know, tons of guys. But uh, Deshaun Kearsley. In double A's, uh, Luis Severino, we got Sevi, he's the man. Um, dude, I, I, I could go, the list could go on and on. Brooks Lee, um, this is just the double A team. Blaine Enlow, um, man, we had tons of pitchers. You know, Sidney Woods Richardson, as you guys have seen before already. Josh Winder, um, 
man, I, there's a long list, but I think that the Twins as a whole organization is very underrated. I mean, we have, you know, uh, Cruz's brother from the Pirates, and he, he was raking for us. He hits the ball so far. It's unbelievable. At 17 years old, 18 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, Brian Acuna, Ronald's uh, younger brother. So we have bloodlines. We have we have it all, man. We got You're, you're doing the whole report for me now. I don't have to do any more work on your top 30, man, which is I, good I, because, like, eventually I will replace you. Let's, let, let me end with this one. I don't know the exact time because it may, it may end up being on at-bats, but once you get past – either service time or at bats of rookie status, you graduate. Now you'll be focused on the big league team, but like for a moment, like look back to your teenage self when you were number one pick in the draft and you probably wanted to be in the big leagues the next day, because I know that's how your mind works, but like it's been a bit of a, of a journey. I'll remind you when you officially graduate, but like, are you looking forward to like not, being a prospect anymore and just being Royce Lewis big leaguer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I've been waiting to easiest question ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone would love to say that of course on that prospect list, they're all looking forward to the end goal of being a big leaguer and then maybe eventually a hall of famer, you know, for most people, but that's definitely the case for me. And uh, I just want to leave a legacy, you know, behind in this game that I love so much. And um, you know, whether that's not a hall of famer or it is a hall of famer, I'll let God decide that. But for me, I'm just going to have fun doing it and go out and make uh, the best friendships ever um, and create, you know, a lot of connections through the game that I love. All right, Rice, as always, it is a delight talking to you. I look forward to speaking to you, maybe not on this podcast again, but, uh, you know, as our paths cross in in this game that we both love. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Thanks to Royce Lewis for joining us. Always a pleasure chatting with him. Let's talk about a couple debuts. One on the top 100 prospects list. One probably a little bit bigger bigger deal. Debut in the big leagues. Kobe Mayo and Ben Joyce, respectively. Mayo joins the top 100 prospects list. Fourth round pick in 2020. You guys are just, you're just adding Orioles. At, at this point, like one comes off and and family members, Orioles and family members, yes, that's right. Cousin, cousin Kobe, not actually a family member. Well, he's probably he's, he's someone's family member, but not yours. Won't confirm nor deny. I have to check out ancestry.com or, yeah. or something. So, you know, he's a guy who I think we've had in our sights for for a little while. You know, the the Orioles went well over slot in the fourth round of that short in 2020 draft. They gave him 
1.75 million to sign out of high school. Always been like a, a hit over power kind of guy. And I think what first got our attention is that uh, he hit better than expected out of the gate in 2021, even though he missed some time. Then last year, you know, there was still power. Uh, didn't, the hit tool wasn't as good. And this year he's kind of, it looks like he's figured some things out. There's going to be some swing and miss, um, but he's got an OPS over 900. He's in double A and he's only 21. Um, so, and 21 for the entirety of the season. So I think it was the combination of the, his age for the level that he's been productive. He's a, been a bit of a better hitter overall than I think a lot of people thought he might be out of the gate. I don't think when he signed, any of us thought that he would be a, a fast track guy. And here we are in double in A in a year that he would have been a college junior. So, you know, I, you know, he's kind of ahead of the curve and he's showing that the, the extra base and home run potential is already there. Yeah, it, it's interesting. We've talked about this a few times, but how sometimes it pays off to be lucky uh, in the draft. And when they took Heston Kerstad with the number two pick in 2020, the consensus was that the guy the Orioles were saving their 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 savings for was Nick Bitsko, um, except Nick Bitsko didn't get to the Orioles' second pick. The Rays took him in the first round. He's been hurt. He's, he's barely pitched as a pro. And they wind up they wound up having to adjust. Obviously, that draft you didn't have a lot of time to adjust because it was a five round draft. And Kobe Mayo was one of the guys they gave their their extra money to, and, and it's paid off. You know, the interesting thing I think is going to be, you know, this Orioles lineup of the future. Who gets squeezed out? Um, because you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think he's going to be their third baseman of the future because I think Holiday Jackson Holiday and Gunnar Henderson are going to be the left side of their infield. And then that still leaves you looking to find spots for Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby. You know, you got Ryan Mountcastle at first, who, you know, isn't an immovable object. And then you got a trillion outfielders, both incumbents and guys like Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad on the rise. So it's like crazy how much position talent they have. Like, you know, some of those guys, I mean, we have seven of their top eight prospects top eight, top 100 prospects are position players. And they have Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman who have just graduated off the list after being the number one prospect in baseball. That's nine guys right there. And they, they have some, you know, veterans who are talent, you know, this, your Cedric Mullins and your Santander's and Austin Hayes. I mean, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how they, they jam all those guys into one lineup down the road. All right, now uh, let's move ahead to the MLB debut that we want to talk about. We often talk about top 100 prospects uh, when they make their debuts, and uh, we do a what to expect sort of article uh, anytime a top 100 prospect debuts in the big leagues. This guy's not a top 100 prospect, uh, but he is uh, very well known uh, because he throws a thousand miles an hour. Ben Joyce, and, and now... The Angels have the first two players from last year's draft uh, to make the big leagues, which is that is that unprecedented for the same team to have the first two players from a draft? And they have the, the first big... player from the 2021 draft in Chase Silseth. Yeah. 
That definitely is unprecedented. I mean, I, I don't definitely. Uh, you know, you you know that without checking. I'm fairly <laughs> sure. Okay. I don't. I because I thought I remember seeing when Zach Nato got uh, when he got called up that that was the first time a team had had the the first from each draft class two years in a row. Hmm. But I may be misremembering. So Ben Joyce made his debut and did what we expected him to do. In, at least in terms of throwing a thousand miles an hour, yeah, and he struck out a couple guys, and he didn't walk anybody. So that's—I don't know if that's so, what we'd expect yeah, him to do. Did something that maybe didn't expect, right? You know, he had been—you uh, know—you look at his overall numbers, and they're not—they're not great. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that they—they—I don't know if they felt they needed to challenge him. Uh, they felt that he had figured some things out lately. Um, I, I don't really know this, this sort of came a little bit of a surprise to me anyway, Jim, you know, this is not, I do the angels list. He was not, I knew they were going to try to get him to the big leagues at a certain point in time. His last three outings in double a were much better. He only walked one. And that time he'd been throwing more strikes overall. Uh, you know, uh, he had a couple multi-inning outings. Um, so we're talking six innings, seven strikeouts during that time. You know, it's, um, you know, so he'd been better. And I guess they felt that was enough to double jump him from double A up to the big leagues. Yeah, it was kind of a curious move. I mean, I guess the Angels, I mean, they're over 500, so that puts you in the wild card hunt. I mean, you know, their bullpen actually has been pitching pretty well for the most part. They've got, you know, five relievers with, you know, having pretty good years. I could see the argument in that, you know, Ben Joyce is a little bit older. Um, he's, yeah, 20, you know, st- pitchers are different than hitters. Stuff is stuff. Like, you know, the, the fastball plays, the slider can be pretty interesting. I mean, he's 22. I mean, he's older? Yeah, I guess I I misspoke. I was thinking he was 23. But I I was just saying, it's like, but I I was going to say, I don't understand necessarily why the need to rush him when you have your bullpens pitching well. You know, as you noted, Jonathan, he's been pitching better recently. He had been walking guys. Um, You know, but like stuff, stuff. Like if you, you think the stuff's big league ready, you know, call him up. So... You know, and he's a reliever, not a starter. I just, the thing I don't get, and maybe they just won't use him that way, is he almost always, both in college last year at Tennessee and even this year, pitches on three days or more rest. And I just, are there big league short relievers who do that? Like, I, 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 to me, I would have wanted to have him pitching back-to-back days, a little bit, you know, one day's rest, you know, just to see how that played out as opposed to bring, like, I don't know, are they going to handle him the same way in the big leagues? Um, but I, I could see from like, if you're just talking sheer stuff that like, okay, he's throwing more strikes, you know, I guess in his last seven and a third innings in, in double a, he, he walked only three guys after really battling the strike zone either, but like kind of curious, I would have, probably played it more cautiously and let him throw more consistent strikes than over a 
you know, three outing span and maybe saw how he bounced back a little bit more resiliently or, or see if he could be more resilient because I feel like it kind of handicaps your manager if you have to be very careful with how you use one particular reliever in the bullpen. I guess if they could be sure that he could go two innings at a time, then maybe that makes some more sense. But he, he only did that twice in his last three outings. He's pitched into a second inning a couple of other times. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. We'll sort of see how they play it. And as hard as he throws, he does have a tendency to get hit if he doesn't locate the fastball up in the strike zone. So it, we'll see. I mean, it, it, it's very curious. I, I did some... Quick research, I cannot tell you the last time that one team had the first two guys from a draft in the big leagues. There's a couple times where a team had the second and third, but not the first two. But the last time a team had the top play- first player to the big leagues in consecutive drafts happened way back in 2019 and 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the White Sox with Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet. That's right. Yeah. Although the interesting thing was Garrett Crochet, who was drafted in 2020, made it to the big leagues before Andrew Vaughn, who was drafted in 2019. But I'm wondering if the A's, in 1978, when they promoted a couple of high school guys to the big leagues immediately, I don't know if those guys beat Bob Horner to the big leagues. That was um, uh, Mike Morgan and Tim Conroy. There were, I think, four guys who went straight to the big leagues. I, I do not have the time. The, the MLB draft media guide only goes back to 1998. I do not have time to flip through my my Baseball America encyclopedic history of the draft to to look at previous years. You know what might be close? I, I can't confirm, but the one that came to mind was the the Nationals in 2010 because Drew Storen made his debut in May and Steven Strasburg made his debut in June. Of yeah, they, they were 2009 draftees, but they were yeah. they were beaten to the big leagues by Mike Leake who made his who big didn't league. play in the minors exactly right. and yes. he went and he didn't sign he signed late in 2009 but yeah they were they were the most recent team to have two of the top three two of the top right okay let's move ahead and talk about our prospect team of the week want to highlight a couple guys on there this is our seventh edition of the season uh the team looks like this Avon Herrera of the Cardinals behind the plate Tyler Locklear of the Mariners at first Second baseman, Cade Doty of the Blue Jays, David McCabe of the Braves at third base, Jacob Amaya, shortstop, Marlins. Outfield, Alberto Rodriguez of the Mariners, James Wood of the Nat, uh, Nats, Jorge Barosa of the D-backs, and the pitching staff, Kyle Harrison, a lefty, right-hander, Emmett Sheehan, and reliever, Jose Cruz. Uh, that's Giants, Dodgers, Giants on the pitching staff there. A uh, couple guys you want to highlight, Jim and Jonathan. Well, Star, I'll, I'll talk ahead. about a guy we saw in the fall league last year who was very impressive and has been even more impressive this year. And that's Emmett Sheehan of, of the Dodgers, who's a part of their ridiculous pitching staff at Double A Tulsa, which is probably the most loaded pitching staff in the minors. But he was a sixth round pick out of Boston College in, in 2021, who had kind of intriguing stuff. He was inconsistent. Um, the Dodgers, as we've said a million times on this podcast, do a great job of helping hitters and pitchers reach their potential. And, and they're doing that with Sheehan. Um, you know, when we saw him in the fall league, Jonathan, did you get to see him pitch at all last year, Jonathan, in the fall league or? I don't think I did. He might like, he has like crazy induced vertical break on his fastball and a very good changeup. He might have the best changeup in the fall league and he misses a ton of bats. He was 
his last season at BC, he was working at 91, 94. He's gained about three miles an hour. He touches 99. And the way he releases the ball low in his delivery from a low slot and gets it a great extension in his delivery, it just really, really carries in strike zone. Guys don't hit it. Um, if they try to sit on the fastball, which is almost impossible to do anyway, his changeup is like a low 80s changeup that tumbles at the plate. And, he, you know, the knock on him, the two knocks on him were, were strikes and a breaking ball. And he had kind of a soft curveball in college. Now he's got like more of a shorter low 80s slider that, you know, it, it's probably an average third pitch. Like that, it works in that role. And he's throwing more strikes. Um, but he's got to do, you know, do some more consistently. He, the, the control has improved, but still 18 walks and 44 innings this year. But double A, the Texas League is hitting 114 off him right now, 164 ERA overall in the season, 76 strikeouts and 44 innings. And it was more of the same last week. Ten innings, gave up one run, two hits, struck out 18. Um, so he, very impressive guy who, who I've kind of had my eye on since the fall league. Yeah, the guy, the guy I wanted to highlight uh, on the offensive end uh, was Tyler Locklear uh, of the Mariners, and uh, you know just for so for the week he he was ridiculous. He had four sixty two. Uh, he slugged over eight hundred. Uh, you know he hit a couple of homers. Uh, one of the things that interests me, I always like it when we, I have a guy who's from my neck of the draft who ends up on one of my teams. I think it just makes it a little you know a little easier transition and. He went to Virginia Commonwealth. He was kind of one of these super college performers who's at Virginia Commonwealth. Um, and you never know how that's going to translate. And he was thought to be a power over hit guy for sure. He hit 20 homers at VCU in 2022. He had to hit 16 the year before, hit nine homers uh, in the Cape Cod League. So there was some belief, all right, this power is going to work, but is he going to, to hit? And... Uh, you know, even though he hit seven more homers during his pro debut, there was a little worry about the approach. So far this year, so so very very good. I have to wonder if the Mariners are going to uh, think about challenging him and moving up to Double A. He's he's been in the Northwest League with Everett so far, and he's hitting three twenty two. He's got an OPS over a thousand. The strikeouts have you know been about they've been manageable for a guy with that kind of power. Eleven homers. Uh, so he's at about twenty two percent strikeout rate he's walking more than 10 percent of the time so I, I think you know there's a little more belief that maybe it's going to work but let's let's move him up to double a and challenge him with more advanced pitching and see how that goes you know he's he's played both corners but this year he's really been a first baseman only i think that's probably where he's going to to focus and i think that bat has a chance to carry him to the big leagues Jonathan, I was kind of hoping that you would you would choose the other member of the Everett Aqua Sox on the prospect team of the week to tell us about, considering that Alberto Rodriguez had 37 total bases I left on the week, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, we, we look at, to qualify for the prospect team of the week, you just have to be on a, a team's top 30 prospect list. So, you know, there's a, a field of 900 players, uh, obviously, you know, not all of those are hitters, but among all the hitters on the list, so I think that's three look three hundred and seventy nine players. He had thirteen more total bases <laughs> than anyone else, uh, and on the same team as Locklear, 
Uh, Everett having fun out there last week. Uh, Rodriguez homered five times over the course of four games, uh, hit six over the course of the week. Yeah, it's a, a lot of fun for the Aqua Sox last week. You don't see too many six homer, 15 in RBI weeks either. No, no. I mean, I, you know, I think it was two weeks ago that Jackson Holiday had that ridiculous, what was 600? What, what was, uh, was it eight for, he was 13 for 21. Is that what it was? Uh, I think it was 13 for 21 with eight extra base hits or something like that. And I thought that was one of the craziest weeks we've seen in quite some time. But uh, 37 total bases, six homers, 15 RBIs over the course of, of the week. You don't see that often. Maybe we need to have like a king of the prospect team of the week each week where one guy is deemed captain. The, the captain of the team. Pitao captain. I like king better. I like king. King Pitao. King Alberto. Yes. I like we that. should have a crown. There should be a pipeline crown, a P-Tal crown that we will ship to the winner each week. Fine idea. I like this. You ship Alberto the crown along with a, a box <laughs> and a FedEx label so then he, he sends can it ship to the it next to the next guy. guy. Yes. Yep. I'm he sure signs that, it and that'll go well. Yep. And then we yep. can auction it off at the end of the year. Brilliant. All right. Uh, mailbag. We got a question from, hmm, is this Dr. Bird? At D-R-B-Y-R-D-3. I sure. think that's Dr. Dominican Republic. I think his middle initial. I think his initial you think is D-R. That's David, Richard. David, Robert. Yeah. Uh, whoever this is asks, what is the perception of A.J. smith Shar? Is he close to the top 100? In a word, yes. And that's it for the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah, he. Uh, we actually had talked to him, uh, talked about him. Um, to, to behind his back, Jim thought we had actually talked about him on last week's podcast. Um, but you know, as, when we were looking for our next group of replacements, and this is a conversation that Jim, Sam Dykstra, and I have, you know, on the regular, making sure that we you know have guys when we know we're going to need more top one hundred guys, and uh, you know, what what he's done this year is is kind of nuts, um. Mostly because he is for for the uninitiated. Uh, the Braves took him in the seventh round uh, of the 2021 draft out of Colleyville Heritage High School. A pop quiz that Jim can't answer. Who else went to Colleyville? Because I know Jim knows. Jason, do you know? Oh, I I thought you were saying he he can't possibly know the answer. No, no, he knows <laughs> the answer. Is that where Wit went? Yes, very nicely done. Um, so. You know, he, he was an overslot guy. He ha, he was a very good quarterback recruit, and he could have gone to Texas Tech to play both. So you kind of think going in, all right, there's upside here. He's very athletic, uh, but it may take him a little while as he focuses on baseball for the first time. He was, you know, in the 2021 draft last year, he, you know, pitched 68 and a two-thirds innings. The stuff was good. He struck out a lot of guys, but... Overall, it was just kind of okay. And then this year, um, he's gone from high A to triple A over the course of seven starts, and he's only 20. And the stuff has just been very, very good. He's been up to 98 with his fastball averaging over 95. The, the, the slider is plus. The curveball is getting better. There's some feel for a changeup. So, you know, it's just this weird situation where he's not spent 
very much time at any level, but he he's now made he's thrown twelve innings in two AAA starts and has fast tracked himself to you know being I won't say he's big league ready because I think he needs more innings, but he is a very very interesting guy who I think we are all watching and will certainly discuss when we need more top one hundred. Adjust the ETA. <laughs> Adjust the ETA. What, what is his ETA? 2025. 2025. Yeah, I think that's safe. We will do that. And, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, not only, he, he just hasn't pitched much his whole life. I mean, he, I, if I remember correctly, Jonathan, I, I don't think he was had really pitched much before his senior season of high school between right. football and the pandemic. And, you know, so he's drafted in 21. The draft's later, so he gets out and he pitches eight and a third innings in his debut I mean, even with his, you know, 33 innings this year, he's pitched 110 innings in pro ball. And I don't think he pitched anywhere close to 110 innings in high school. And he's been, you know, I, I guess he's he, he was untouchable in high A and double A, and he's getting touched slightly in triple A. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty crazy. Like, it, I was – somebody was asking me about Futures game, you know, is coming up and – and like he came up and I'm like, do you think we'll see AJ Smith Shaver in the futures game? And I was like, my, my first reaction is like, seems like he has a pretty good chance. Cause you know, the A's are not one of the higher ranked systems. He's certainly has a spectacular season. And you know, Jonathan, I mean, he might be their best prospect right now if we were re-ranking. Yep. And then I made the joke is like, well, he might be in Atlanta by the time the all-star game happens if this keeps going on. So, so maybe he won't, but uh, yeah, no, he, he's not, I mean, he's a guy who, you knew who he was because you do the Braves. I knew who he was from the draft, but I certainly did not think we would be discussing AJ Smith Shaver as a possible top 100 guy and a possible big leaguer by the end of May. All right. Thanks to DRBYRD3 on Twitter for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Royce Lewis. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.